News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Well, it's a very special day for us here at Biz News. It is our eighth birthday, so happy birthday to Biz News from me, Nadja Swat, and my colleague Justin Rowe Roberts here with me. We had a very uh, experimental virtual birthday party this afternoon, and we'll be playing an excerpt from you in the show this evening. And then also coming up, Alec Hogg will be speaking to Dr. John Endress, who will be taking over as the new chief executive of the Institute of Race Relations. And he'll be talking about the reasons for South Africa's lack of jobs and what we can do about it. Then I'll be speaking to Dr. Duncan Carmichael, who founded the Institute of Healthy Aging here in Cape Town. And he wrote an article that we published on Biz News earlier this week about whether as a doctor, when asked whether or not his patient should get the COVID-19 vaccine, what he would advise them to do. Alec will also be speaking to Family Action South Africa's Bernard Tuffin about expropriation without compensation and custodianship, which he believes are catchphrases that threaten South Africa. You'll also be hearing from our guest commentator this evening, Counterpoint's Pitful Yoon, about the huge effect that internet giant Tencent has on South African retirement savings. But first, here are the news headlines. Bride Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Bride Rock, the first ever needs meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes. The epicenter of a third wave of coronavirus cases in South Africa that's being driven by the highly infectious Delta variant has shifted from the economic hub of Gauteng to Cape Town and the surrounding Western Cape province, where hospitals are at risk of being overwhelmed. The Western Cape had more than 38,000 active COVID-19 cases by midday on Tuesday, while there were less than 24,000 in Gauteng. Almost 3,700 virus patients are currently in hospitals in the coastal region, with 708 of them in intensive care. Premier Alan Windy has said that the province has increased the number of beds dedicated to coronavirus patients, secured more ventilators, and employed additional healthcare staff. South Africa's Independent Electoral Commission may file an application with the Constitutional Court on Wednesday to delay a municipal vote due in October. The necessary documentation has been signed, and now it's a matter of compiling it, IEC Chairman Glenn Machinini told reporters at a briefing in Johannesburg. The government on Tuesday declared October the 27th as Election Day, a formality required to enable the authorities to file the court application to delay the vote. Under South Africa's constitution, the election must be held within five years and 90 days of the last local government vote in August 2016. However, former Deputy Chief Justice Dikang Moseneke has said that the vote is likely to be free and fair if held no later than the end of February. Former President Jacob Zuma will leave escort prison next Tuesday to attend court in Peter Maritzburg over four days, and family members, political leaders and supporters are likely to gather outside to show their support. Judge Pete Kuhn has told Zuma and the state that the matter will proceed in open court on Tuesday. This follows a two-page submission from Zuma filed on Monday telling the court that his constitutional rights would be prejudiced if his criminal trial were to proceed online. Advocate Vim Trengrove for the National Prosecuting Authority told the court that the case must proceed regardless of the format, and Trengrove said that security services informed the NPA that all reasonable steps would be taken to ensure a peaceful process. However, he warned that there was no assurance that these measures would succeed. So, Justin... What's been happening in the markets today? Thanks, Nods. Uh, relatively muted day on the JSC with the All Share Index flat at 68,600. In the currency markets, the Rand strengthened against all the major currencies to 14 Rand 24 cents to the dollar, 19 Rand 84 cents to the pound, and 16 Rand 91 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,825 an ounce. A Kruger Rand will cost you around 28,500 Rand. Brent crude is down at $72.40 a barrel. And the Bitcoin price is flat at 550,000 Rand per coin. In the financial news, Telcom has reached an inflection point where the number of homes connected with fiber surpassed the number of homes connected with copper. Telcom revealed this information in its trading update for the quarter ended 30 June 2021. 
Telcom CEO Sipo Maseko said group revenue grew 3.5%, demonstrating recovery in top-line revenue compared to the prior year. Telcom added that it made significant strides in its fiber business. The number of homes passed by fiber increased by 34.3% to over 600,000. The share was marginally high on the JSC today. NASPIS is backing online insurance company Naked as part of its commitment to invest almost $100 million in tech startups in its home market of South Africa. The 120 million rand stake means NASPIS is the largest investor in the firm through its foundry fund. It's also the biggest investment vehicle the fund has made to date. Evaluation for Naked has not been disclosed. NASPIS and Prosa shares are both well in the green on the JSE today, around 3% up. This market report was made just for you by Bradrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Pete Fulion joins us for our slot where we talk to the wise people of the markets and uh, get some insight into this week what at BizNews has been the Pete Fulion show. Uh, the piece that you wrote on NASPAS could not have been better timed. You wrote it? No, I wrote it on Sunday. Published on Monday, and then then early morning Tuesday, the Chinese government throws the book at ten cent, and a consequence of that, the share price fell. And I guess when you look further down the line, it's pretty serious uh, that they've now switched their attack to ten cent. Just just by way of people who who maybe don't understand the intimate intricacies and why this is so important to us, why is ten cent? Why does Tencent have such a big impact on South African retirement savings? Yeah, I guess that's the key question. And and if one um, casts your mind back to 2001, uh, NASPAS bought a 30-odd percent stake in in a company called Tencent at the time for $20 million. Um, today, Tencent is probably one of the best businesses in the world. Uh, it is a Chinese internet-enabled business. In other words, it, it offers services and products over the internet to a wide set of customers in China and makes a lot of money doing so um, uh, and has become a very big business. And as a result, NASPAS has become a very big business and has become a significant portion of the Johannesburg All Share Index. Um, NASPAS and its sister company process, I think, make up around 20-25% of the index. So any South African who has investments managed by a pension fund manager that sort of uh, manages with reference to the index has a significant exposure to 10 cent effectively through NASPAS slash process. And for the past 20 years, that's been a great thing. I mean, it's created tremendous wealth for South Africans uh, specifically and uh, South African pension funds generally. So we are all exposed to what goes on in Hong Kong uh, because of what has been a phenomenal investment. However, the fact that the Chinese uh, Communist Party is now taking aim at capitalists and Pony Ma of Tencent being one of the most visible Chinese capitalists is not good news, not just for Tencent, but for South Africans too. Yeah, I guess when uh, when politicians get over-involved in regulating businesses and and sort of defining the boundaries within which they can operate, I guess that's negative for, the, number one, the, the future profit, profitability of that business because you know, the reason for the regulation is to tamp down the profitability. Uh, and the second thing is it also is negative for the rating of the business because investors will expect less growth going forward. So where the rating might have been high in the past because of very high past growth rates and high expected future growth rates, maybe the rating is a lot lower now than it has been in the past or should be uh, now than it has been in the past. And as an example of that, one can only look at the Russian stocks. Uh, There's some great businesses uh, that operate in Russia, which is also another very big market, very profitable market. But these businesses trade at significant discounts to their peers in developed markets because of um, the government's uh, uh, intervention there. So, so I think there's a similar sort of dynamic playing out. So what exactly has the Chinese government done? Well, specifically with regards to Tencent, uh, 
there's two things that I'm aware of that they've done over the past while. The first is they have taken away Tencent Music Entertainment uh, proprietary rights to the music um, rights, to the music publishing rights, and saying that must be available to everyone. They can't be the only one, only ones profiting from selling uh, music streams uh, on the internet. So that has affected that business, that part of Tencent dramatically. And just, I think on Monday night or Tuesday night, the regulator also said that um, they must uh, uh, stop providing online gaming, not gambling, uh, games uh, to minors, to, to young children, because they said it's, uh, what was the word they used, this opium for the mind. So, and, and that's also, uh, online gaming is a significant portion of the income. I think it's about a third of their revenue, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm not sure what segment of that is made up by, you know, minors playing online games, but it, it'll hurt the profitability, there's no doubt about it. So the government is now moving, has been moving in China against many companies, the, uh, the most famous of which was Alibaba with uh, the listing of its Alipay. And we saw Didi, the um, Chinese version of Uber, being listed in New York, and then the, the rules were changed thereafter. And I guess that, that's the question, isn't it, that if the government decides to change the rules – then if you're a company in a country, whatever country you might be in, there's a whole new risk or layer of risk that gets brought into it for investors. Exactly. I think as if the government starts changing rules um, arbitrarily uh, to suit policy and not market-clearing prices, uh, I think you see a discount being placed on assets. Again, re referencing other emerging markets, South Africa is one of those. We see now government being very inconsistent on policy with regards to the mining sector. And all mining companies traded a big discount to other global mining companies because of that. Uh, so it's a similar sort of environment. I think. What I found interesting was I was actually in the room in Davos in January 2018 when Soro Ramaphosa had just been uh, elected at the uh, presidential elective conference of the ANC. Surprisingly, uh, he wasn't expected to win and he did. And I recall so clearly that he said there were three things that the government would be focusing on, one of them being uh, corruption, as you can imagine, but the other big one being the, uh, the regulations that would be uh, rational and, and uniform and secure. Now, consistent regulations or cons a consistent regulatory regime. Now, he might have been talking to a – he was talking to a global audience, but was he – has he followed through on that since he did become president shortly uh, thereafter? I, I guess those were his intentions when he became president. Uh, but as I say, the road to hell is paved with good intention. Um, I, I think he is in charge of a fractious um, party. Uh, I think it's very hard to get any um, – any, uh, sort of uh, unanimity on policy and on regulations because there are parts of the party that don't see eye to eye with other parts of the party. And I think, that, and he must have known it when he came in. I mean, he was vice president to ex-president uh, ex Jacob Zuma. So he must have known what the dynamics within the party were. And I think he's been spending the past three years just trying to get that right. Um, so far, what, from what we can see on the outside, unsuccessfully. Is is he making progress, though? I don't know. Let's see. There's, there's talk of a cabinet reshuffle soon. Let's see what happens there. Um, but from what, I, what you and I and anybody else can see on the ground, no, he's not making any progress at all. So a, a cabinet reshuffle, and you mentioned earlier mining, uh, and one of the big problem ministers, as far as investors are concerned, is the mining minister, who's a communist trade unionist, Gwedi Mantash. Uh, the fact that he's also been implicated in corruption over these power ships uh, doesn't do his chances much good. What kind of a, a, a mining minister would one be looking for? Could you could you give us a, a perhaps a best possible scenario there? Well, start off with a, probably a non a, a minister with a non-communist mindset, a minister who actually understands how business works, understands how markets work and understands how job creation works. 
uh, and so far for a long time we haven't had uh, very many of those uh, in any seats of power. Um, so that's what one we're looking for. Who that we? I, I don't know, but you would want somebody who can rebuild the trust that has been lost between the business sector and the government sector because of many factors. Uh, the main factor being that many people in government do not understand the market and how it allocates resources efficiently, or more efficiently than government decree. At least. And yet those same people would be saying, look at how much tax is being paid at the moment by the mining sector. Look at the share prices and the profitability of the mining sector. Why should we change something when it isn't broken? Yeah, well, I, I, I think that's the cycle. Um, I think if the regulatory environment were different, they would have been earning more tax right now. Um, but they're not. Uh, and that tax is going to reduce again at some point in the future as the cycle develops and declines, as these cycles always do. Um, so I think that would be extremely short-sighted to say, well, look how well it's going now. It's all fine. Um, I, you know, I, it's not. So it really is taking a uh, a longer-term view of legislation, which I guess is that's what legislation is you should be if you want if you want to have consistent legislation you'll be must be writing it today for 50 years time not for 50 minutes that's right and, and it should be such so that if you want to build a mine you should know where to go to where to apply for a license you should know that the process of applying for a license is a is a straightforward process a rigorous process but straightforward uh, and you should know how that works. And um, it shouldn't change every six months or every three months. And you shouldn't be needing to deal with different people every three or six months. Uh, so, yes, that consistency is key. Uh, and that will optimize tax receipts through the cycle, not only at the peaks, you know, like we're going through right now. Pitt, uh, just two other points I'd love to get your insights on. Expropriation of land without compensation or e EWC, is, as the, uh, the acronym is. Uh, how serious is that? I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Um, the fact that it's even been talking about is serious because I think if you want to attract capital investment, create jobs, the last thing you want to do is expropriate land uh, because that takes any security one has away. So you're not going to build a factory in a piece of land that can be given to somebody else tomorrow. Uh, so there will be no factory and there will be no jobs. So even the fact that that has been spoken about uh, at any level of government is, is a big negative. I'm not sure it will become policy in a, uh, in, in a reasonable form or any form at all, but just the fact that it's being spoken about is a, is a big negative. And the second thing is uh, we haven't yet absorbed what happened during July 2021. What would need to be done to put people's minds at rest, and indeed to say South Africa is investable, despite uh, the optics that were pretty bad? Well, the optics were, were desperate. Uh, number one, the fact that our security clusters ministers still don't even agree on what happened there is, you know, maybe if they can start agreeing on what happened there. Uh, secondly, if uh, those who are responsible for what happened could be brought to book, um, uh, that would be a good thing. Uh, and thirdly, I think our security cluster, police, army, etc., etc., need to show the public that they are actually in control of the situation. Uh, for all intents and purposes at the moment, it looks like they're not in control of any situation. So, so those are, things, those are the things that, you know, from my point of view, need to happen, um, and they're not happening at the moment. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Dr. Duncan Carmichael joins us now. He's a medical doctor with 25 years of experience in the profession. So, Duncan, you wrote an article that we published on Biz News about when asked by your patients whether or not they should get the vaccine, you know, what your answer would be. So just to begin with, um, I mean, 25 years in the profession, that's a very long time. What's your particular area of expertise? Um, hi, Nadia. So um, we do health medicine in our clinic. I suppose 25 years is quite a long time, now that you put it that way. Um, so we do everything to do with health. So we get people in who might be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s who might not be quite as healthy as they want. 
And as opposed to looking at illness, we look at health and how we can optimize their health. So we have an interest in that. So certainly during the COVID pandemic, uh, we have been mm-hmm. helping people look after their health, optimize their health, um, so that they either don't get sick or if they do get the virus, they might get a lesser infection of the virus. Uh, and then we'll help Fantastic. people with long COVID. So in the article, you concluded with the fact that you would advise your patients to get the vaccine. Can you just unpack your reasons? Okay. Um, so essentially, you need to take it back to the point that all of us, you, me, um, patients who come in, people on the street, um, none of us are sure. None of us know. Um, you know, there's a big drive for people to get our vaccine. We want 60% of society to have vaccine. We've seen that there's benefits from that. But when it comes to you standing in the queue, um, like I did a, a couple of months ago, waiting for a jab in your arm with some new technology, there's obvious questions that go through all of our head, and I think that's very reasonable. I don't think it's reasonable just to be saying to people, well, you should go get your vaccine because it's the right thing to do, because that doesn't address those very obvious fears that we all have. And those fears are that this is a relatively untested, in some cases, technology, and therefore, you know, what could go wrong? We've had one year of trials on some of the, or all mm. of these vaccines, which is a very short period of time. And, you know, what am I putting myself in for? Um, mm. And usually the, the thinking in patients goes, well, um, there's a whole lot of things that could go wrong, but then I've seen people dying from the COVID virus itself, and that seems worse. And so on a, on a relative level of, of balance of probabilities, people will tend to go for it. But one could look into a little bit deeper as to what potentially could go wrong with a vaccine and what have mm-hmm. we learned so far from the results of people getting vaccines that may allay those fears somewhat. And... Can you just briefly just sum up these fears? So the, the world record up to now for the shortest time to market for a vaccine is months, which is four years, more likely mm-hmm. seven years. So so one year time to market is very short. It's only because of emergency conditions, pandemic conditions that, that it's, it's allowed. Um, so it's mm-hmm. quite reasonable to be fearful. Um, previous coronavirus vaccines that came out for SARS or for MERS, um, in the animals that they were tested on, things didn't go that well with those vaccines. And so there's something called ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement, which is where one's immune system starts to attack oneself. So it's like a toxic type of storm. And so one, it was almost like a massive allergic reaction that one could get. And so that's what those animals were getting. And so because of that concern with previous coronaviruses and previous coronavirus vaccines, People are necessarily understandably concerned that with this vaccine that hasn't been tested that long, that that sort of side effect might happen. But the good news is that so far, after nine months of having the vaccine and data coming out, that doesn't seem to be the case at all. And so that then puts to bed some of those fears. And as we get more and more data coming out over the next few months, hopefully that will put to bed those fears even further. But it's quite reasonable... Mm for people to have those fears. And we shouldn't just ignore it and say, get the vaccine. We should yes. rather, I think, discuss that as an issue and how far we got with, with, with resolving that. What about the, the question of natural immunity? Those people who have had COVID-19 and recovered, would you advise them to get the vaccine? Yeah, I think there's, there's still a whole lot of questions in the air about natural immunity. It's generally the preferred thing, traditionally, um, a natural mm-hmm. immunity. Um, but obviously we're seeing that with the variants coming through, that natural immunity doesn't hold. And so if you've had an infection in the first wave, you could get an infection in the second wave. But if you're susceptible, you could potentially get a nasty infection in that second wave, um, whether it's a beta mm-hmm. variant or a delta variant. And so the argument is, is that you may get more protection from having the vaccine. I think there's still lots of questions in the air around that whole topic, and I don't feel qualified to sort of give a definitive answer on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's along mm-hmm. those lines that the discussion goes. All right. And then just back to the, um, the methods in which you treat people for general health and well-being. Is there anything that you advise your patients to do in that respect that will, you know, either just assist them generally to, for their bodies to fight potential COVID-19 infection? 
We do, Nani. So, so um, I think the, the, the basics are the most obvious. The people that I've seen who've got, particularly in the second wave, so in December, the nasty infections, were people who were stressed, working hard, not sleeping enough. And then they mm. tended in the second wave to get a nasty infection. So really those very basics are, are we, we need to just remember and focus on. Eight hours sleep a, na- a night, a bit of exercise outdoors and sunshine during the day. You can then, and, and stress management. You can then add in the nutritional side, which is reduce the alcohol, reduce the sugars. You can add in the, the supplements that we all know about nowadays, which is your vitamin Ds and your mm. zincs, your vitamin C, high dose if you've actually got a bug. Um, and then when you get the infection, there's certain things you, you could do. Okay. And then just to close off with, so a topic that has been, it's been hotly debated um, since the beginning of the year, ivermectin for the prevention and treatment of COVID-19. What's your take on ivermectin? Throw me under the bus, why don't you? <laughs> you got to ask the, the hard questions. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, you sit in the seat. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, ivermectin, ivermectin is, a, in my opinion, it's a WHO essential medicine, which means it is a low side effect medicine. So if people are taking and there were concerns about getting liver toxicity, that's generally from the animal ivermectin, where there's aldehydes, formaldehydes in it, which is liver toxic. With the human mm-hmm. ivermectin, there should not be those side effects. So in my so so for a start, it should not be a toxic thing. It may mm-hmm. be useful, it may not be useful. In a petri dish, a high dose it was shown to be useful. There is some evidence that on day seven, day eight of the uh, infection, when we have that inflammatory allergic type of response, it'll help to dampen that down. Mm. And certainly I have plenty of patients who've requested it. I've given it to them and they have reported that they felt that it's a useful thing to have. I'm very happy with that. Um, And it's certainly in my experience is not proving to be a toxic problem and therefore if it's not toxic it's not going to do any harm then there's no reason why if people feel they're going to get benefit from it they shouldn't be given the opportunity to take it so that's that's my stance all right just on that topic quickly so the world health organization it is an essential medicine but they officially recommend against its treatment for COVID 19 do you not find that suspicious um, no, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I'm, I'm out of my depth of knowledge on that. Uh, no, so right. I, yeah, there, there, there's, yeah. Um, I, I think, I think just to change that question slightly, I think it's very difficult for all of us to really find where we can get reliable information from. So there's question marks about if a WHO statement comes out, can it, is it reliable? If a VAERS mm-hmm. statement, CDC statement comes out, is it reliable? Um, and it's very hard to, to find that, which is really one of the reasons why I occasionally write articles, to try and give from what I can pull, from what I think is reliable sourced information, something balanced um, to give people a little bit of rudder and direction. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to answer some questions. And yeah, thank you for your article. I really enjoyed it. No, it's a complete pleasure. Bernard Tuffin is with the Family Action South Africa. Bernard, just uh, by way of of, uh, positioning everything, Family Action South Africa is a uh, a group that's concerned with the, I suppose you could call it, moral degradation in in our country, associated or aligned in some way with the church, with the Catholic Church. Yes, exactly. Yes, the organization was founded with... um, with the ideal of defending the family institution, the mother's cell of society, the most important institution for the preservation of civilization and um, and societal, you know, norms, good behavior, uprightness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, we, 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 the organisation and its uh, writings and all our all our uh, works are underpinned by a, a Catholic ethos, certainly. Mm. And why have you applied your minds to expropriation of land without compensation? Or I suppose we just we call it EWC here in South Africa, expropriation without compensation. How does that fit in? 
Well, in essence, the our our organisation obviously has a broad is a broad platform to deal and comment on on you know most things affecting our country, the future, the world, the church, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we would obviously see things like private property and expropriation and the notion of uh, the the abolition of property. Um, very much in a religious sense, uh, very much a religious and moral issue. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that basically be it. You know, the two of the commandments of, 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 of uh, um, deal directly with uh, with property. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet the neighbor's goods. So uh, it's very much within our domain to discuss these issues and um, their ramifications for, for society at large, for the family institution, and for all things we hold dear. I'm glad you brought that up because it's the whole Judeo-Christian uh, approach uh, is based on the Ten Commandments and uh, and I suppose the Christianity thereafter on uh, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. But how would EWC, just, just unpack it for us, how would that then be breaking those commandments? Because I'm sure there's a, there's a heck of a lot of people who think uh, that they're following Christian principles and yet – uh, they would also support EWC? Well, essentially, the great danger that we're facing in the country is the enshrining of things within a constitution, principles, which are not easy to retract upon. And obviously, those can be um, drawn out uh, and, um, and, 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 and policies derived out of that. So in establishing EWC as a policy in the constitution, it enshrines, in a sense, theft on a national basis, almost an institutionalized theft. Um, it simply, it simply cannot be allowed. It's simply unnecessary. We don't need that in the country. And, uh, the ramifications in terms of whoever might be in power at any particular point, a hostile government or whoever, um, can, can play on a principle like that and really extract the worst possible scenarios out of it. In the weekend media, we saw that the ANC and the EFF have fallen out over uh, the proposed change to the constitution. This has been seen as a good thing in certain circles. Uh, do you agree with that? Essentially, I think a lot of that is much more for public display rather than for any inherent differences in opinion on the ground or in the actual wording of the document because if one looks at it in its uh, in, 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 in the actual wording, it's not substantially different from what either party has put forth through this entire debate process. And um, so I would think that I would be frankly very surprised if the EFF did not back that amendment in in Parliament when it when it comes up for debate. And um, and uh, who knows whether when the actual legislation is is uh, uh, put forward to give meat to this constitutional amendment, that the, the, the radical proposals which have been mooted here and there from all parties in this ad hoc committee will not actually be fulfilled and take take fruit. So I think it's much more if we may use the sort of terminology which is somewhat outdated in our world today, psy war psychological warfare that's played out to perhaps make people feel a little bit more comfortable. People are desperate almost to not be upset in their comfort zones and to see little signs of of uh, optimism or perhaps retreat from radical proposals, etc., etc. Um, I think it plays much more into that scenario than any actual fundamental disagreements, which they're not. And you are trying to get people to apply their minds to the seriousness of this through documentation that you've put together. Yes. Uh, just what is the thrust of uh, of the conclusions that you reached? Well, essentially, what we, what we've I've tried to um, Alec, to put together a document that encapsulates the entire process of what this reform would entail. I found myself a little while ago battling to actually put it into perspective and to understand what custodianship would mean in practice and um, what EWC would mean in practice. And therefore, I tried to put together an article that encompasses much of what has been said and done over the last couple of years, right from the beginning of this process when the resolution was adopted in Parliament in, 1980, uh, in 2018, specifically put forward by the EFF, um, 
the proposal which had actually been rejected by the governing party the, the, the year before. Um, and then, so the, the idea is then to really awaken, let's say, awareness and concern in the country as to actually what these concepts are. I find people pretty almost ignorant, really, in a way, or not wanting to really delve into them, not to apply their minds, to discuss, to think. Um, it's very evident to me in the sort of a lot of people that I had sent my document to who I thought would actually send back perhaps, you know, some sort of note of, wow, this is good, or thank you, etc., etc. Basically, find it almost something you don't you don't delve into or read because it's either too long or it's too complicated, whatever. So the idea is really just to really try and try and create awareness of what our rights are, of what the potential catastrophe should be, should the most radical consequences of that legislation play out, and we have been given an idea of what the radical consequences of that legislation could play out by the various utterances, both by the EFF by the ANC, one of the ANC fellows on the um, on the property committee talking about the the, uh, the consequences of, of, of um, you know uh, title deeds becoming becoming leasehold um, and this type of thing so there is there has been sufficient information put forward to give us an indication where it's headed there was also that gentleman from the, the I think it was the land um, uh, ministry, um, I, I wrote to Masi Pulombongwa, who gave at the January 2019 conference of the World Economic Forum, said the government intended to change the constitution, the, the property rights, then pass a national land uh, bill, land uh, plan, land act, modelled essentially on the same as the Minerals Act and the Water Act, which would place land in the custody and they didn't talk at that time of certain land or bits of land or talked about land as a generalization so one can sort of pull out these pieces that have been said here and there which have then been disguised they talked about land as a generality earlier than it became certain land but the basically what has been indicated is is where this whole process could go and it's perhaps been later disguised in in uh, in um in, in hiding it under under different sort of lesser terminology, you might say, or, or disguise somewhat. That's my my concerns. Alec, I'm an ordinary South African. I love the country. I love our people. We have enormous human potential in this country. We could change the face of Africa, the face of the world, with 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 the with the beauty of the soul of South Africa. And it just breaks my heart. And um, in in seeing everything done in almost a wrong way. And so many actions that could be done, not done, and us almost pursuing inexorably every wrong path that can be pursued to shipwreck the beautiful vision that we we, we have, uh, those of goodwill in our country for, for its future. It sounds a little like the way that the president's uh, role was written for a Nelson Mandela and uh, not dreaming that a Jacob Zuma would come along. So it's, it's a similar kind of thing that when you, when you do have laws and when they're on the statute books, you better be sure that you have a worst case scenario dealt with. And what is the worst case scenario on the way that EWC has been proposed at the moment? Well, you see, it's difficult to say because obviously legislation needs to be enacted, which will give, so to speak, give meat to the principle enshrined in the constitution. But um, who knows? One can only hope and pray that it doesn't doesn't become some sort of generalized uh, takeover and of 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 lands. You know, there was a very interesting um, article written recently by uh, Trevor Manuel. You probably saw that one, in which he he outlined that the, the the whole process of land reform in the country was proceeding generally according to plan. And according to the current, uh, the current projected uh, goals, et cetera, et cetera, of the government. And that in fact, what is being pushed now is actually unnecessary. We don't need these extra bits of EWC, um, which and I had added to them, um, uh, the improvements on land. They're unnecessary, uh, to bring about what, what, what can be brought about with what, with existing legislation and existing goodwill in the country for that matter. But the proposed changes then and this whole story of uh, custodianship uh, brings a, a whole new risk layer 
from what you've been uh, explaining now to the whole uh, to the South African situation, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Because in the, when this whole uh, resolution was originally mooted, and when when you know the whole process was un- unleashed for public comment and for the whole and and for. Uh, all the proposals that would be put forward, the word custodianship didn't feature. It was not part of the general change in the constitution, but it's always featured in the EFF terminology and goals for the country, which are disturbing that one could then see that, uh, that in a way the government has taken, you know, parts of, of, of the program and goals of the EFF and adopted them and introduced that word, which is somewhat nebulous and somewhat, uh, uh, open to a lot of, of of stretch and elasticity and discussion, but uh, there we have been given enough indication um, by the EFF, which which said that custodianship would entail the uh, the end of uh, the end of, of, of private ownership and would involve the the uh, the takeover of the state, so to speak, by um, in, uh, as 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 landlord as and thereafter. People would have to hire factories and farms and and homes, etc., on a on a revocable lease sort of basis. That's the most radical, obviously, uh, thing that could come out of all this. Which, please God, we never get to because it will effectively be presage the transfer of the entire landholding of the country into the hands of the government, which is a classic a classic socialist communist sort of. Um, principle will be established in law. So by the grace of God, um, which we feel that needs a lot to be prayed about in the country, these things will not see their worst uh, worst possible conjectures. But there has been sufficient information and sufficient conjectures put forward by people on the committee, on the EFF and various commentators to indicate that that is a possible way in which the country could go down the line. So what does one do about this proposed nationalization of uh, private assets by stealth? Because that's what it sounds like is being proposed. It's certainly from certain parts of the political spectrum. At this stage, Alec, it's very difficult to say because we've actually gone we're quite far down the line in terms of, uh, you know, how many, how, how many times all this stuff has been put out for public comment and uh, – how 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 many how was how big were the proposals and the uh, inputs of people opposed to all this on really good grounds economists financial people and yet we're sort of proceeding down the same lines so it's 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 a moot point to be able to discuss at this point how 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 this could all be actually rolled back except to say please you know by the grace of God and prayer and and enough. Um, enough lobbying from important organizations, from business, from the agricultural bodies, which have already done a lot of that, perhaps there would be some sense prevail, even from, you know, overseas um, countries, foreign departments, presidents, whatever. Right, here we go. (laughs) Um, uh, Happy birthday. Who's going to start singing happy birthday? Can we? I am. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Biz News. Happy birthday to us. Oh, well, fantastic. Well, this is a very first uh, effort that we are trying here. As you can hear, we've got our colleagues here in the studio. Let's just start off. Uh, oh, there you can see on screen. You've got Stuart's uh, very happy face in the left corner. There, okay. And Clive and Didi. How's it, guys? You've got the, you got the cake there. Hey? Yeah, Alec, we do. And it smells gorgeous. Okay. Uh, that was made by Jet. Who made it was the cake? made by a neighbor who is 80 or, or 92 years old and starts baking every morning at 3 o'clock. And uh, when you're talking about uh, someone who's a lot of uh, maturity, Max Clark is our honorary president. Max is 95 and recovered from COVID. Good to see you, Max. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay. And you're also our mystery shopper and uh, the person who always checks whether or not we are uh, doing the correct pronunciations and grammar, etc., that's absolutely spot on. Get your T's crossed and your dots in the right places. 
Uh, Max, when were you born? How many years ago? Uh, about 95 and a bit. 95 and a bit. Well, uh, we do have a president uh, of of, uh, of great standing. Lovely to have you here with us, Max. Max is also, of course, Jeanette's father. Uh, and Warren is uh, a shareholder in BizNews. Warren, great to have you with us uh, here for a quick little chat. Uh, are you happy with your investment, most, of, most importantly? I'm thrilled, Alec. I can't wait till you start paying some dividends, though. <laughs> uh, but... Um, <laughs> I'll settle for a slice of cake for today, though. Uh, congrats to you and the team. It's been a phenomenal achievement. And we've, I think we've been uh, around for the last, it's almost two years. I, I must check the exact date we, we inked the agreements. But it's been a thrilling ride and learning so much just being involved with you. So onwards and upwards to you and the team. And my heart, hearty congratulations. Oh, thanks, Warren. And uh, we've just come out of a, a meeting uh, just a, a few moments ago on Altvest, uh, which is your creation, your invention that we've been telling our community about. Uh, uh, you know, you guys are doing fantastic, innovative stuff, and we look forward to spreading the word about Altvest. You've been in a number of the meetings there, Stu. It's, uh, it's an exciting, it's exciting concept, eh? Oh, definitely, Alec. I think it plays to what we believe in, democratized investments for all and i'm sure warren will give us more insight in many interviews to come but yeah it's a fantastic um concept and we look forward to getting it growing hey warren yeah we uh we're very excited um we had a very exciting phase of of the process and you know as, as part of the ethos of democratization um you know i'm, I'm sure we'll look back at, at this in a number of years but we've involved the community in actually critiquing our process and adapting to that critique where where possible and and where feasible and it's it's been quite thrilling to to see you know that there is a consensus on a lot of things but certainly we've learned some things that we hadn't thought about that you know we we have the privilege now of implementing before being bombarded with complaints or critique on a hard launch day. So the soft launch that we undertook last week has been phenomenal. Um, we've been averaging almost 800 registrations a day, which is fantastic by, by any metric. And uh, yeah, we so far so good. So we'll keep you guys up to date on, on all of that. Brilliant, Warren. Well, lovely to have uh, one of our shareholders here. I know Jeanette is, uh, is delighted at uh, the uh, fact that her father is here with us as well. Uh, what kind of a role has uh, Max played with us? Jetty, if you think about going back eight years. Crumbs, eight years today that we had that little... Yeah, I think Mystery Shopper says it all. Mm. He's 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 always the first to to say we've left out a they comma or the spelling isn't right or, or an, an email didn't come through. So we love that feedback. We love any feedback, and I think in life we don't we don't encourage enough of it because it's through the feedback that we actually grow. You see, I, I'm, I'm like multi-skilled on this. Charles, Charles is a potkoi man. Hello, Charles. How are you, man? Can you speak Afrikaans? Goed daar. Hello, Alec. Yeah, he saw us. He saw us. I can and I'm all with Afrikaans is with Leicester. How's the podcast? Can you hear? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got you. Niet, got you loud and clear. Yeah, it's going. It's going very lekker, man. It's going. It's going lekker. I'm enjoying it. Freezing by him. It's a great feeling. And actually, yeah. it's a it's a new idea of ours to to get into the uh, into podcast Afrikaans mark, ne? No, definitely, Alec. I think there's a massive community, as we know, that, and what we try and do is create content that they can consume in their own environments. And I think this is part of that journey where you're creating content that people can consume, how they listen to things rather than how we think everyone should listen and see things. So it has been, I think, for a few years. I mean, we had clip codes years ago. We didn't quite get it, but now I think with Shoal on the ground, there's a lot more focus, mm. and I think it will work quite nicely. Uh, we, unfortunately, we aren't because of our, our uh, power, our um, uh, partnerships on English stations yeah. in Cape Town and FMR and uh, Kai FM up here in Johannesburg. We can't really run Khoi uh, Tal, but, 
But uh, Charles, we're gonna we're gonna be pushing uh, much more emphasis onto Portuguese as we go forward, and getting you to speak English as you have been speaking now for a minute. But uh, <laughs> but good to have you with us. We we haven't heard from another member of our team yet. Uh, here's here's Clive. Jeez, Clive, you're the most famous member of our team, and we haven't introduced you yet. <laughs> no, not the most famous. Uh, I bet you there are there are like a hundred million people in India who disagree with that. <laughs> all the cricket fans. Clive Eckstein uh, is our commercial director and uh, transforming our fortunes into the future. Clive, it's been a a journey. I've been here. First of July was a year, and um, you know when you. When you think about what's happened in that year, it's it's incredible. Um, you know, we I've I've just written down a few things, but the conference. You know, I remember how we came up with it. We sat around a table, and not five weeks later, we had a conference, and it was a huge success. And we got another one coming at the end of the month. Yeah, conference in the Berg. Yeah, it might be a bit colder, but uh, should be good. <laughs> but it's 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 quite interesting that because of in the time of COVID, we haven't been able to go as big as we'd like to. Uh, how many bookings do we have at the moment for this conference? Well, we've got we've got a hundred people um, with uh, partners and all of that, but we are restricted from COVID. So hopefully, things happen over the next few weeks, and we can open it up just before the conference and get the community there. Go, Cyril. Let's hope that that does indeed happen. Okay. I see David Melville is going to join us. How's it, David? I'm, I'm bringing you in from the green room. Uh, a, a community member. There's, there's, uh, there are lots of other community members, I'm sure, who, who I know they're in the green room waiting to come through. David, do you want to give us a message, a statement? Uh, how's it? Uh, yes, Alec. Emma. David, do you oh, hear us? I've been listening on the other thing. Yeah, we got you. Eh? We got you loud and clear. Go for it, man. Alec, yeah, no, thank you. Um, I try to tune in most days and, and catch up if I miss out on the live. So I, I am so grateful what you're doing and putting me on the map and putting so many wonderful concepts have come together. And yeah, you're a great networker. So thank you, Lord, for bringing Alec back from England, back to throw anchor down in South Africa. It's really, really been wonderful and one learns so much. So the educational value is outstanding that's achieved here through your program. So 10 out of 10 and keep up the good work. Brilliant, David. Thanks, man. And uh, thanks for, for, as you say, bringing us back from England. Uh, Jetty, uh, he was thanking you for actually coming back to South Africa after our little stint there. Uh, we were there for a year and ended up being three years. Happy birthday, Biz News. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, Carrie, um, can, have we ever told anyone about the wine club yet, or are we keeping it as We a gave them a sneak, mm-hmm. a sneak preview last Friday, and Stuart and Clive and I are just sorting out the pricing now, today. Okay. And then I think we really said go on Monday. Okay. We can start buying wine in the Biz News wine shop. That's going to be amazing. And, and why should we be buying wine... In the Biz News wine shop. Because Biz News is a big success story. We're not going to put horrible wine into our wine shop. And we've organized competitive pricing. And you can definitely, you get free delivery. And you can fill up your glass while you listen to Alec. Well, I would have said it's because we've got you as our partner. <laughs> okay, well, we've, uh, we've had our hour with the community. Thanks, guys, wherever in the world you might be for joining us today and uh, for, for supporting us over the last eight years. Uh, and we look forward to having a different birthday party next year. What, what have you got in mind, Jet? Let's going to do some pole dancing <laughs> and doo-doo. I'm up for that. Okay. <laughs> I'm up for that. Thanks again. Until the next time. Cheerio. Today is Wednesday, August 4th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Spain is calling on the EU to curb high electricity prices. Plus, PepsiCo is selling off some of its juice brands to private equity... Private equity firms love nothing more than what they call like the corporate carve-out. You know, to sort of buy a unit of a company and they might be potentially good businesses that are just not doing as well as they could because they're like overlooked. I'm Mark Filipino and here's the news you need. 
Spain is asking the EU to back measures that would limit surging electricity prices. The bloc has been working to reduce carbon emissions, and in an interview with the FT, Spain's Deputy Prime Minister for the Environment, Teresa Rivera, suggested that high prices and charges could create a backlash against carbon-cutting initiatives. She said Spain was in the eye of the hurricane here. Prices across the continent are at record highs, so Ribera called on the EU to provide a price ceiling for electricity rather than having rates determined by the highest prices national grids are willing to pay. Spain also wants the EU to use existing legislation to restrain or push down soaring carbon trading prices. Spain's electricity prices are one of the hottest political topics in the country at the moment. This week, prices reached a wholesale rate of more than 100 euros for a megawatt hour. PepsiCo has agreed to sell its controlling stake in the Tropicana and Naked Juice brands to a French private equity group. It's part of the U.S. drinks company's focus on calorie-free products like SodaStream that it claims are better for the environment and have higher growth potential. Kay Wiggins is the FT's private capital correspondent, and she joins me now to discuss the deal. Hi, Kay. Hi, Mark. So PepsiCo is is cutting its stake in a couple of very well-known fresh juice brands. How have these performed during the pandemic, Kay? So coronavirus has actually been relatively good for these brands, partly because people during the pandemic suddenly were very focused on their kind of immune systems and wanted to buy products that contained a lot more vitamin C. Uh, At least that's according to the, the private equity partner who worked on the deal. So given that there's a consumer shift towards healthier products, why is PepsiCo letting these brands go? It seems a little counterintuitive. Well, it does. That's true. But it's not totally clear that these fruit juices are health products. I mean, the people at the private equity firm who are buying them, you would even say that they're kind of both on the right side and the wrong side of this sort of shift towards healthier products. Because while they do contain vitamins and fibre, there's also a lot of sugar in fruit juice. And actually, that has been putting consumers off in recent years. We've seen the growth in these juice brands has been much slower than the growth in brands that are selling lower calorie products. Mm. So this private equity group that is paying over $3 billion for the Tropicana and Naked Juice brands, uh, what will it do to maintain momentum for these products? So PAI Partners has something of a kind of track record with of working with these kind of giant consumer goods companies on their brands. In the past, they've done deals with Nestle, for example, on a, on a joint venture called Fronary, which sells ice creams. So they have some kind of history of doing deals like this. Their argument basically is that these brands have been a bit unloved within the giant machine that is Pepsi. And they can do a lot better if they're spun out separately and owned by a company that's just focusing on them. But at the moment, it's not entirely clear what that's going to mean in practice. We should mention that PepsiCo isn't completely letting go here. It's retaining a minority stake. Uh, Why is it doing that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I asked that of the company's chief financial officer, Hugh Johnston. And he basically pointed to PAI's track record of working with Nestle in the past and said, you know, maybe they'll be able to bring in some new skills to running these companies. Maybe whatever happens, they'll sell this company on a higher price in a few years time. And so PepsiCo, whilst getting out of the business, it still has the ability to benefit from that in the future if this private equity firm does manage to sell it at a higher valuation in the years to come. Does PepsiCo's move tell us something more broad about how companies who might have too many things going on at once are scaling back but still retaining their side bets through private equity? Or is that a bit of a reach? No, that's not a reach at all. Private equity firms love nothing more than what they call like the corporate carve out, you know, to sort of buy a unit of a company. And you hear this argument all the time that within kind of some of the world's huge conglomerates, there might be potentially good businesses that are just not doing as well as they could because they're like overlooked. So, you know, constantly these big conglomerates will be being approached by private equity firms like PAI, but lots of others as well who'll be knocking on the door saying, hey, I see that you've got these brands here that maybe don't quite fit with your overall portfolio or that don't seem like a priority to you. You know, maybe we can come in and take them off your hands and they'll often do deals that would then enable the conglomerate, the big companies to to keep some element of the stake in that business so that they can share some of the upside if they then do go on to sell them. So yeah, it's an opportunity that private equity firms are like very keen to exploit at the moment, especially 
because doing deals involving kind of listed companies where you would try and buy the whole company and take it private, you know, are becoming more difficult and more expensive and share prices are going up all the time at the moment. You know, so those deals can be getting a lot harder to do. So to actually approach a company and just say, well, we want to just carve out these brands that you own is a really attractive thing for, for a private equity firm to want to do. Kay Wiggins is the FT's private capital correspondent. Thanks again for your time, Kay. Thanks, Mark. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Thanks for being with us tonight. From me, Justin Roberts, and the Biz News team, we'll be back at the same time tomorrow. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.